This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Here, a fan of HGTV. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Fixer Upper, Property Brothers, Love It or List It. We've got some fans out there. So, I could watch those shows for hours, but I don't let myself because. I get ideas that happen to be very expensive. Like moving furniture is one thing, which I love to do, but knocking down walls is a whole nother thing, right? But what I love about these shows is that the professionals are able to take whatever they have in front of them. They're able to take something that might have been misused or something that has just been overused, and they're able to turn it into something spectacular. So when it comes to renovation, there's a few options you can take. The first one is the teardown option. You'll see a picture. That's when you just knock it all down and you start from scratch and you just build from the ground up everything brand new. The second option is to keep the glory of what once was by preserving it. So think the Biltmore. Everything was, uh, is how it was, but it's just refinished so that it looks spectacularly preserved. Even if there isn't modern plumbing, it's still gorgeous, right? And then the third option is to keep the best of the original, but refresh it, make it more modern, more accessible, more comfortable. This is a before and after picture from Fixer Upper where they took this old house and they kept the best of it and they renovated it and made it more modern, more beautiful. Um, and, and I love this show because they're able to, to do that, um, take that heart, the traditional heart of the house, and update it, refresh it, build upon its foundation to make something gorgeous. So why am I talking about HGTV? Well, this week, we said goodbye to 2019, and we welcomed in a whole new decade, So it's the season for New Year's resolutions, for big dreams, for big plans. Some of us may be approaching the new year with the teardown mentality, where we're like, yep, we're knocking it all out. We are starting fresh over. We are going to be a whole new person this year, building from the ground up. Some of us are taking the Biltmore, the preservation mentality, where we're saying if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and we're going to keep on, keep it on with no intention of changing anything in our lives or in our hearts. But when we approach the new year in such manners, what we're doing is we're devaluing the beautiful things, the holy things, even the hard things that made this past year, this past decade, so meaningful that helped us grow and become who God is calling us to be. So today we're beginning a new sermon series. It's called Reclaim, how God creates new without starting from scratch. And in this sermon series, we're going to consider how God leads us to take the best of what has been and build upon it for the best of what God will bring about So we're going to talk about how we can learn from our heritage as Christians, what we can learn from the past year, the past decade, what we can um, learn from what we've been through so that we can move into the future with strength and with faithfulness. So think of this sermon series as a fixer-upper for our souls, for our lives, for our church. 
And this is also um, very relevant as we enter in 2020 and we begin to celebrate this 150 years of Methodism in Apex. Because all year long, we're gonna celebrate our heritage, who we've been, how we got to this place, so that we can take the best of what we have been into the future that God is leading us into. We believe it is good to know where we've come from so we can build upon that and move into who God will create us to be. So as we dig into our lesson, our scripture for today, let us just spend a moment in prayer. Oh God, as we begin this new year, as we open up the scriptures and seek your wisdom, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear whatever you have to say to us today. May we be inspired to take hold of this firm, um, the firm foundation of our heritage as Christians, of these witness of scriptures, the witness of our forebears and the faith so that we might continue the tradition of growing in faith, of following you fearlessly and faithfully. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 2 today. It's the story of the wise men, a very familiar story for many of us. It's a story of how men from the east followed a star through unexpected twists and turns. It's a story of resilience, of flexibility, and above all, a story of deep faith. So hear now the story from Matthew chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king... They set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. All of this happened in the time of King Herod. And that short little beginning to the story is very telling because there's a lot of things that historians speculate about Herod. But one thing is for certain. Herod was a very brilliant politician. In his younger years, it coincided with the murder of Julius Caesar when all this turmoil came to be, and Herod capitalized on that turmoil to secure himself his appointment as king 
of Judea. And there he ruled for 30 years as the Roman appointed king of a Jewish country. During his reign, he brought stability to the region. He also brought wealth. But there was a very dark side to Herod's reign. All he wanted was power. And he would do anything to keep it. He was known to kill wives because he thought they were after his power. He was also known to kill his own sons because he thought that they were after his power. And then as Herod grew older, his mind began to slip and his dark side got even darker. He was often seized with delusions of persecution He was prone to uncontrollable outbursts of anger that often led to people's deaths. So everyone in Jerusalem and Judea were terrified of Herod. He was a loose cannon. He was a danger to himself and to others. And he was in charge. He was in charge of the region. So that is the backdrop to this very familiar story of the wise men but it makes the story all that more compelling. Because imagine, imagine the look on Herod's face when his attendant informs him that there are a royal convoy of people from the east who have come searching for a great and powerful king. Herod, of course, would have thought that they were there to see him and he would have puffed up his chest with pride and said, show him in, but then, Then these men would have approached and said something astonishing. Where is this newborn king? We're not looking for you. We're looking for the newborn king. We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. Can you imagine how Herod would have reacted to that? Herod, who only wanted to maintain his power. It was unacceptable to Herod. That something um, so enormous had happened in the skies that these magi had come to find a child that he didn't know about. But Herod was a brilliant politician, so he didn't let his dismay show. Instead, he hatched a plan to get rid of this threat once and for all. He called together the best scholars he could find, and he said, Tell me, where in the scriptures does it say our Messiah is to be born? So they searched the scriptures and they said, Bethlehem, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And Herod then went back to the Magi and secretly learned when they saw that star rising so he could determine how old the child would be. And then Herod told them, go, go and find that child and tell me where you find him so I too can go and worship him. We, of course, know Herod had no intention of worshiping the child, but the wise men didn't know that. They didn't know that Herod was a tyrant. They didn't know that he was actively plotting the death of this child that they were searching for. All they knew is that they were eager to find this newborn king, the one that they had traveled miles and miles to find. So let's talk about the Magi for a minute. Who were they? How did they end up in Um, Judea and Jerusalem looking for this child. Well, they were educated men, magi were educated men in the east. They um, were probably from modern day Iran, Persia is what it was called then. 
And as people who were educated in the East, they were not Jewish. They probably were Zoroastrianists. Um, they were a combination of astrologer and astronomer. Part of their um, education was to search the stars, and they used the stars to interpret world events. So one night they looked up in the sky, they saw a new and brilliant star, and they did their own research to figure out what this star meant, because they believed the stars interpreted world events for them. And they, um, they, in their research, decided that this star was the sign of a very important king who was born of the Jews. And this star, this sign was so important that they packed their camel saddlebags and they hit the road and traveled thousands and thousands of miles to find this child. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see such a sign and respond to it. It would have taken them months, if not years, to get there. And as they arrived at the palace where they visited Herod, surely they would have thought this baby king would be in the luxury of a palace. So you can imagine their surprise as they set out to Bethlehem to look for this mystery child. All they knew was that the star was pointing in their direction and the star was now leading them to Bethlehem and landed on the place where the child, where Jesus was staying. So imagine their surprise when they discover a peasant family, a young boy who is not wrapped in the luxury of royalty, and there they were overcome with joy. They knelt before this child, offered gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts not fit for a kid, but gifts fit for a king. I wonder how it felt for them in that moment. They had traveled thousands and thousands of miles to find this special baby, and they found him in a commonplace home among a peasant family. How strange it must have felt for them. But it only got more strange because as they went to sleep, they had a dream that warned them not to go back to Herod and tell them the child's whereabouts, but instead to go home by another way. And so the Magi woke up and had to sneak out of town. They had to sneak out of town without telling Herod, without giving away the child's location. This would have been a very dangerous thing for them to do, to cross Herod in such a way. And it would have made their trip longer and harder to go home by another way, and yet they did it. They did it to save the child, and it probably saved their own lives as well. It's amazing to ponder this story and think about the world that we live in. It's a world of fear. It's a world of suspicion. It's a world that Herod might have recognized but as we look at the story of the wise men, we see a picture of faith that you and I can reclaim in our world of suspicion and fear. Theirs is a story of astounding faith. They had an unshakable trust in God's ability to lead them, God's ability to guide them, to protect them, 
And it's amazing that they weren't even Jewish, and yet they heard the voice of God deep within, and they were able to say, yes, Lord. Yes, we will travel thousands of miles to welcome this special child to earth. Yes, Lord, we will lay these expensive gifts before a peasant boy, even if it doesn't make sense. Yes, Lord, we will defy the most dangerous ruler that we have ever met in order to keep this child safe. Yes, Lord, yes, we trust you. How did the wise men have such faith? How can we learn from their faith so that we too can trust God with such abandon? I think the secret to their ability to trust so deeply in God is that they paid attention to the signs of God, not to the mess of the world around them. They followed the star wherever it led them, even if it led them to a peasant's home. They listened to the prophecies in scripture. They trusted in those words of old to lead them where they needed to go. They heeded this amazing dream that they had from God and they went home another way. They didn't let the surprises or the disappointments or the developments around them dissuade them or distract them. They kept their eyes on what they knew, on what God had revealed to them, and they just kept going. I don't know about you, but I have a lot to learn from the wise men because I can often get distracted by what's happening in my life or in the world around me, and I don't always keep my eyes on God on what God has revealed to me, on who God has revealed himself to be, on how God has called me to be in this world. And when I think about the best of the Christian tradition of what I want to reclaim for my year to come, for this decade to come, I want to reclaim this kind of faith. This kind of faith that the wise men showed us, the kind of faith that our ancestors in faith have showed us generation after generation. I want to keep my eyes on the light of Christ and follow with courage and devotion. I want to have that kind of faith when life is smooth, when the path is well lit and I know where to go, and I want to have that kind of faith when the road is rocky and it's unpredictable and it's frightening. Whatever I am facing, wherever I am going, I want to have the courage, like the wise men, to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So as we move into a new year, as you move into a new decade, you will undoubtedly hear the voice of God within you calling you to something. It might be a calling to um, get um, more involved in growing in your own discipleship. It might be a calling to serve within the church or in the community. It might be a calling to heal some relationships that are broken or to take some new opportunities that you never anticipated. God will call you in new ways this year. And it might feel scary. It might feel like it doesn't make any sense. It might feel risky. It might feel frightening. But I hope that we can learn from the wise men that we can reclaim their faith, their trust in God, that we can learn from their single-minded focus on who God is and how God has called them. 
My prayer for us is that we can keep our eyes on Jesus. And however God calls us, however God leads us, we can say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I trust you. May we together reclaim the faith of our ancestors and trust in God above all else. It might not be the easiest road, but it's the road of life. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.